Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All these guys who run these organizations who talk about analytics, they have one thing in common. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get to the game. Welcome to VEASAN's Hardwood Handicappers. As you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? Not a geek. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Yep, what's up? Welcome in the second episode of the newest addition to the VSIN lineup here on Sunday nights. Harvard Handicapper, two hours. Hey, look at the association and a lot going on today in the world of the NBA. Actually, got a lot of important games going on right now, including Toronto Raptors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Raptors have cut this to a seven point deficit. We'll have details on that game coming up, but in terms of the play in situation in the Eastern Conference, that game carries a lot of weight. We also have the Nuggets and the Pelicans that are underway right now. The Pelicans were down as by as much as 21 points earlier today, but they've cut it to six points with 90 seconds left to go in the first half there. The Grizzlies down in the fourth quarter, the Houston Rockets, 95 to 92. And of course, a uh, smattering of other contests that were down earlier today. But we begin with an evening tip because we're going to have a game in about an hour or so. Daniel Alvari, uh, the host of the Los Angeles City Cast, is going to be with us in about 45 minutes. So we're going to get her perspective on the showdown with the Clippers and the Knicks and also what's going on with the Los Angeles Lakers, which we have plenty on today. But let's take a look really quickly at our evening tip that's about an hour away from now. The Los Angeles Clippers open up on the overnight as a three and a half point favorite. With a total of 217.5. No surprise. We're up to five here with a total of 221. Knicks come in pretty shorthanded. Taj Gibson, doubtful. Quentin Grimes, Nerlens Noel, Obi Toppin, all out today. And of course, New York just not playing good basketball. 1 and 11 straight up, 2 and 10 ATS in their last 12 games. They have a negative 8.7 net rating over that same span in their offense, averaging just 108.8 points per 100 possessions. And those guys right there, the Los Angeles Clippers, playing some of their best basketball of the season. They come in winners seven out of eight. They've covered seven of those games as well. They've outscored their own opponents by 14.2 points per 100 possessions, limiting them to 102.2 points per 100 possessions. So hard to believe that New York finds some success on offense tonight against this defense. The Los Angeles Clippers have been playing at an extremely high level. The Knicks, although they did cover against the Phoenix Suns, did blow that game with some help from the uh, help from the officials on Friday night. The bank shot from Cameron Johnson that put the Phoenix Suns over their win total, but with an inflated number, right? Only spot to look now is the New York Knicks are pass, and it's going to be a pass for me. But at that opening number of uh, three and a half, totally agree with the market move here. And in fact, one spot, the spot where we usually reside, at least when it comes to the edge, the South Point just moved up to five and a half for the Los Angeles Clippers. So we will get to that game in more in depth 
with Daniel Alvari at the bottom of the hour. And we're also going to talk about the Lakers, but let's start there with some of our hardwood headlines because we got this report a couple of days ago, the Los Angeles Lakers front office uh, apparently pushing Frank Vogel to bench Russell Westbrook. From the report, quote, there's been an increasing push among many in the Los Angeles Lakers organization to demote nine-time All-Star guard Russell Westbrook from the starting lineup, but Vogel has resisted. Coaching staff and Westbrook have had differing visions on how to best utilize the 2017 NBA Most Valuable Player, yada, yada, uh, partly as encountered for some tense moments between Vogel and Westbrook in the past several days, including during a Friday team film session. So I think the question, obviously, is what really is the best choice here for Frank Vogel? Because I think it's super easy to say, bench Westbrook, this is a nightmare. It's all his fault. you got to get him out of the starting lineup. But I would say, really, nothing seems to work. And maybe the worst option actually might be benching Russell Westbrook. So going through some of these numbers. And again, numbers aren't the ultimate, you know, the ultimate, right? There are ways to read numbers. Numbers have a lot of noise in them at times. But it is somewhat surprising when you break this Russell Westbrook thing down by a couple of different ways that you look at it and you realize that, hey, you know what? Maybe the best option is still sticking him there with LeBron James. So my point here. So let's talk about some on-off scenarios with Russell Westbrook. Let's put Russell Westbrook on the floor with just LeBron James. Net rating for the Los Angeles Lakers is a negative 0.5. So they're scored by a half point every 100 possessions. Their offense is fine, 112.1. It's their defense that suffers, giving up 112.6 points per 100 possessions. In transition, it's what their strength is. Again, this is Russell Westbrook with just LeBron James next to him. And again, not just those two, but it accounts for those two together on the floor, Anthony Davis off the floor. Points added. In offense, through offense transition, 3.7 points per 100 possessions. Pretty solid. Their transition offense overall, 128.5 points per 100 possessions, and their half-court offense rating 97 is pretty poor. But if you look at this from the perspective of when he's on the floor with James and Davis together and when he's without James and Davis, because my thing was, all right, well, if you think about it, Russell Westbrook, you put him on the floor without LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you can get out, you can run in transition, you put a bunch of shooters around him. In theory, that sounds like a pretty good lineup. He's allowed to have the ball in his hands. He's allowed to attack within four feet of the basket, distribute, be Russell Westbrook. The Lakers, when Russell Westbrook is on the floor without LeBron James or Anthony Davis, have a negative 5.9 net rating. Their offense puts up 106.5 points per 100 possessions. Their defense is equally bad at 112.4, and their transition offense is awful, like god-awful. And so really, there doesn't seem to be an easy way out of this. And Russell Westbrook also seems to be losing it a bit because we had Westbrook blow it up with a reporter the other day, and you can kind of tell that Westbrook, it's kind of getting to him at this point. What did I envision? I suppose I would imagine some wins. I mean, you said based on what I envisioned, I want to know what you think I envisioned. I would but you envisioned coming here and winning a championship, or at least being in a position. Is the season over? It, it, it certainly isn't on. Is the season over? No, sir. Thank you. So what did you envision? Since you you, you spoke for me, I want to know what, what you thought I envisioned. I mean, I've been at every press conference you've had this year, and you've talked about, especially at the beginning, when you talked about what this could look like. Obviously, you envisioned a successful season. It, to your point, sure, could still happen. But where you guys are trending right now, it hasn't. I mean, do you, you still ask my question. You, what did I envision? Russ. Yeah, you said you envisioned this to be a certain way. I want to know what you did. You envision it to look like this. I had no, I had no expectations. See, that's why you don't know. You don't know what I envisioned. I had no expectations. I come into every situation. Um, the same. Uh, last four years of me, I've been on different teams four times. So my envision of kind of think everything gonna be peaches and cream. I don't. That's not realistic. That's not life. Uh, so for me, um, I come in every situation. Um, 
start from ground zero and try to figure it out along the way. I have no expectations of how things will work, how many times I had a ball, what position I'm going to play. That's literally, um, you know, I just try to find ways to better, best help my teammates, and that's about it. No expectations for this season. Russell Westbrook coming into this year, being traded to the Los Angeles Lakers, who had LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who won a title in the bubble two seasons, or a season and a half ago at that point, whatever it was a season ago. Uh, no expectations. So you can tell it's kind of getting to them. Uh, these reports have been like floating around the team for a really long time, and this is not going to get easier anytime soon. And while the Lakers snapped a four-game skid on Saturday against Golden State, which we'll get to from the Golden State perspective in a couple of minutes, but it's not going to get any easier for the Lakers as we move forward. Their schedule, first couple of games as we move forward this week are going to be pretty good, right? At San Antonio tomorrow, Houston on the road after that, home versus Washington, but then it tightens up after that. You get a uh, four-game road trip to the East Coast. That's after a home game against the Toronto Raptors. And on that four-game trip, you're at Minnesota, at Toronto, at Washington, and at Cleveland. You come back home for Philadelphia before you go on a little bit of a Midwest trip at New Orleans, at Dallas, and at Utah before you come back. And those New Orleans games, as we know, are very important. Right now, the New Orleans Pelicans have cut their lead, and they're down by a little bit to the Denver Nuggets. They're only one game back from the Los Angeles Lakers. And that's pretty important because that looks like that's going to be the 9-10 matchup in the play-in. And so now, all of a sudden, the Pelicans are nipping at their heels with how well they've been. So it is not going to get any easier anytime soon for the Lakers. They stopped the bleeding on Saturday. But when you need 50 points from your starting center, and that's somewhat facetious given the fact that LeBron was the center, regardless – it was pretty hard to get that number, that win, right, and snap that streak. We'll see what they're like going forward. But speaking of the New Orleans Pelicans, we got news from them this weekend as well. Uh, a big one, figuratively and literally. Shams Sharanya reporting that Zion Williamson is returning to New Orleans after spending time in Portland for his foot rehab. Sources tell him and Will Guillory, who also covers the Pelicans. Williamson cleared to progress in basketball activities. Pelicans have won four straight, as he notes, and are in the playoff race. In action right now, the in-game broadcast today. Also had a follow-up on this report uh, that he's not going to travel with the team, of course, until he can uh, full, I think it was full weight-bearing activities until he can take on some of those. He's still going to remain in New Orleans, but he will be at home games. He'll be with the team. You'll see him on the sidelines cheering and whatnot, but he's getting closer to a return here. The question is, and the the Pelicans broadcast, uh, they somewhat pumped the brakes. The question is when this return happens, because... We talk about the Pelicans and winning these games. There's a reason why they've won these games. And C.J. McCollum and that trade has been part of it. But Willie Green has done a great job in tweaking this starting lineup. Look at some of the numbers for the New Orleans Pelicans since they have gone to this new starting lineup. For those who don't know their new starting lineup, C.J. McCollum running the point, Brandon Ingram, Herbert Jones, Jackson Hayes, and Jonas Valanciunas. That's their starting five. Their, their front court, ridiculous, right? 6'11 and 7 foot. But some of these numbers, if you if you look at this since going to this starting lineup, the offense putting up 129.4 points per 100 possessions. Uh, their defense is giving up 117.5. Effective field goal percentage of 61.6 is absolutely fantastic. They're grabbing 43.5% of their misses. That's their offensive rebounding rate. And they're making 21 free throws every 100 shot attempts. These are elite offensive uh, offensive numbers. Now, the defense, if you note, 117.5, actually not very good. But this offense has been so incredible. And again, as we note, down today by as much as 21 points, and at the half right now against the Denver Nuggets, only trailing by two buckets against Denver, there is a really high ceiling for this offense. So what does Willie Green do with this offense now if Zion Williamson does come back? 
You replace Jackson Hayes at power forward, who when he's playing the position and when he's on the floor, they have a plus 3.3 net rating and are averaging 115 points per 100 possessions on offense. Do you take out C.J. McCollum and allow Zion to run your offense? C.J. McCollum, the point guard this year, has allowed the Pelicans to outscore their opponents by 20.2 points every 100 possessions. Do you take out Herbert Jones, who's one of their better defenders, actually with probably their best on-ball defender, because when he's out there, defensive rating of 107.5. So the evolution of what the Pelicans are going to be are absolutely fantastic. But as I tweeted out yesterday the other day, if you can find it, Pelicans to make the playoffs are a really good bet. I got down on this at plus 440 a couple of days ago. It's funny that every single market uh, that has offered this, even the one that I got down on, uh, pulled the New Orleans Pelicans. The only team worth betting in this market in terms of making the playoffs, the New Orleans Pelicans, you can't find them anywhere. So it's very much worth looking at, and that's kind of a gripe that I would have. But regardless, watch out for New Orleans. Again, they have come storming back here against Denver at halftime, down 62-57. to 57. So we'll keep an eye on that and all these other games that are currently underway, and, of course, a lot more to get to on the other side. When we come back, let's take a look at that Lakers win over the Golden State Warriors. Well, let's look at it from the Warriors' perspective because a lot of it is, hey, man, it's cool. Draymond Green, he's got to come back at some point. But is it really that simple? Find out on the other side. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories. A calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to VEASAN's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. 
Get an early start on your College Hoops tournament betting with VEASAN's full-court bracket betting coverage starting Sunday, March 13th with six hours of free live video streaming on VEASAN.com, including the full bracket reveal and opening lines for every game. The VEASAN College Hoops experts, including Greg Hoops Peterson, will analyze every game, discuss with the bookmakers, making the lines to find the best early value. Don't wait for the lines to move. Start your bracket in round one tournament betting with the VEASAN College Hoops experts on Sunday, March 13th at 6 p.m. Eastern, free on VEASAN.com. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, no hardwood handicappers next Sunday because it's a pretty important Sunday, right? Selection Sunday. However, you don't get to get rid of this ugly mug because I will be part of the late night coverage. Jamal Shaw and myself will be on from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Pacific time, taking a look at all of the uh, numbers and moves for the first round of the NCAA tournament. So with that, Wanted to mention something very quickly for those of you who are joining us and maybe have a little extra ticket or a little extra cash because you had a Milwaukee Bucks ticket earlier today. Congratulations. Um, you do not deserve any piece of that. But, yeah, you know what? Sometimes you get a little bit of good luck. The Milwaukee Bucks is a nine-point favorite at the close today against the Phoenix Suns. Now score them 41-32 in the uh, fourth quarter. But it was a little bit worse than that because uh, – 12 to 1 run over the last three minutes for the Milwaukee Bucks. Give them this cover, including Chris Middleton, who had the ball left with 30 seconds left to go, and a Suns team that wasn't going to foul in any way whatsoever. Just wanted to get out of there, man. We just blew this game. Screw this. Let's go back to our hotel room. And Chris Middleton, feeling himself, decided to drain essentially a step back three uh, with uh, the Suns being willing to give it to him. And of course, the Suns were down by seven. So he hits the step back three. They end up going up by 10, and ultimately, the Bucks cover. So. Really rough beat for those uh, out there who had a Suns ticket. I feel for you. The NBA, it giveth and it taketh, and usually it just taketh. All right, with that, let's get into what we saw on Saturday night uh, because it was quite the performance from one LeBron James. Lakers get the win, 124-116. to 116. The headline, of course, is LeBron James, 56 points in 39 minutes, 6 of 11 from three-point range, 19-31 from the floor, hits 12 of his 13 attempts at the free-throw line, and 10 rebounds. Didn't even try to get guys involved. There was a classic LeBron just like, no, screw it, guys. We're going to win this game. Follow me. I got you. So we talked a little bit about the Lakers already and the reports about Frank Vogel and what's going on with Russell Westbrook. Westbrook in that game, by the way, 20 points, 9-17 from the floor, had four assists. So, you know, a game. But for me, the focus right now is going to be on the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors who... Now, if we look at what has happened with them recently, it has not gone well. Over the last 10 games, the uh, Golden State Warriors now have the third worst record in the NBA. Houston Rockets over the last 10 games, 0-10. Knicks 1-9, and then the Golden State Warriors 2-8. Now, of course, as you see in a lot of reports and everything about this, the Warriors just need Draymond Green back, right? That's it. And the numbers would support that theory. Since January 10th, when Draymond Green went down, the Warriors, 13-12 straight up, 7-18 and against the spread. They're only outscoring opponents by 1.1 points every 100 possessions. Their offensive rating over that stretch, 114.2, great. But their defensive rating over that stretch, 131, uh, 113.1, not great. So they're a really average team without Draymond Green. That is represented by that net rating of plus 1.1. But they're rated as an extremely above average team in a lot of these spots, right? Case in point, the other night where they're taking on the Dallas Mavericks and they open up as a road favorite against Dallas, a Dallas team that is power rated very similarly to them. Closing is about a, what, a three and a half, four point favorite on the road against the Minnesota Timberwolves in a game they lost outright. So the market still has a lot of respect for the Golden State Warriors. It's the Warriors. It's Steph Curry. Clay Thompson's back. Steal Steve Kerr. But clearly the output isn't there. And then if you look, you really see Draymond's value when you look at the games before Draymond went down, right? So we're talking about 38 games of sample size before Draymond Green's injury. 
And this was an elite team, right? 29-9 straight up. 23-15 and 15 against the spread. They were outscoring opponents by 8.3 8. points every 100 possessions. Their offense was actually kind of average. It went 11.5, but their defense was elite. Only giving up 103.5 points per 100 possessions and non-garbage time minutes over those games. That was the best defensive rating in the NBA over that stretch. But I don't think it's as cut, as, and, cut and dry as, hey, man, all they need is Draymond back, and they're back to being a contender. Because... I think what has been lost in this conversation about the Golden State Warriors, as you see the worst record in the last 10 games there, what's been lost in the conversation about Golden State and what has been really simplified with the, yeah, just get Draymond, Draymond's back, everything's fine. I'm going to take you to November 30th for the Golden State Warriors. It was their first game against the Phoenix Suns this season. And we'll go from November 30th, up until January 10th, which was when they lost Draymond Green to injury, right? Uh, January 9th was that weird Cavaliers game where he started because Clay came back and he fouled, you know, he fouled Darius Garland, got whatever. But from November 30th to January 9th, this is what's forgotten about the Warriors. It's forgotten that with Draymond Green still as part of regular part of the lineup, they were 11 and 7 straight up, but 7 and 11 against the spread. That they were only outscoring opponents by 2.1 points every 100 possessions in those 18 games. That their offense was only scoring 108.1 points per 100 possessions. And their defense was still very good at 106 in terms of the defensive rating. But to me, my point here is there were signs that this team had flaws well before Draymond Green went down with his injury. And now all the focus is on the fact that you get Draymond Green back, you'll be fine. But I know I'm not sure. Like, I find myself resisting that theory given the fact that we saw over the course of 18 games before Draymond went down that there were some real and legitimate flaws with this team. And so, like, for example, right, you still question who runs this team when the bench is in control. To give you an example, they're negative 4.7 in terms of their net rating when both Curry and Draymond are off of the floor. The offense only puts up 106.6 points per 100 possessions in those minutes. So what happens... Right, Even if Draymond comes back, what happens to this bench offense? Because that has been a consistent theme with Draymond healthy, with Draymond unhealthy, is that the bench minutes, the offense kind of falls off without Steph Curry on the floor. Steph Curry has really been the only uh, igniter in terms of their offense pretty much all season long. And so I just, this isn't to say, like depending on the matchup, the Golden State Warriors are going to make their way into the second round of the Western Conference. But to me... I find them a flawed contender when it comes to the grand scheme of things. The Western Conference is still wide open, but a series, a best of seven against the Memphis Grizzlies is by no means a given. Hell, a best of seven series against the Minnesota Timberwolves, I had written down, depending on the health of Anthony Edwards and what the price was going to be as a play on the Minnesota Timberwolves in the postseason in terms of a series price. So I just think that when you look at Golden State overall, I would caution anybody simplifying it to the fact that Draymond comes back, they're going to be fine. I think there's a strong argument to be made that there is flaws with this team that even Draymond Green's presence does not mask. Now, lately, their defense falling off of the cliff, yeah, he's going to help that in a very big way. But when you're talking about an offense that has been very reliant on Steph Curry to generate most of its production, he helps a little bit, but he's not going to take all of that away. So that's, again, just something to keep in mind here for the Golden State Warriors, who, as you see in those standings, by the way, have fallen to the three seed in the Western Conference behind the Memphis Grizzlies, who hold the tiebreaker no matter what happens in their final matchup of the regular season. A couple of other notes to get to here uh, before we move on, because we're going to have a conversation about the most improved player race coming up in a couple of minutes. And remember, Daniel Alvari, a host of the Los Angeles CityCast, is going to be with us in 20. I want to talk about the Pistons really quickly. So Pistons on Friday night get a 111-106 win over the Indiana Pacers. And I want to bring this back to last season, because for those who don't remember, at the end of the season last year, the Minnesota Timberwolves were a team that had, and trust me, it's, it's going to tie into the Pistons, I promise. 
But the Minnesota Timberwolves were a team that finished the year strong. They hired Chris Finch really in a really odd fashion in the middle of the year. But all of the quotes and all of the indications for Minnesota at the end of last season were, we want to end the year strong. We were building something. We have something to prove to a certain extent. We're a somewhat young team. We were derailed by injury. D'Angelo Russell missed a big chunk of the season last year. So they wanted to end the season strong. And they did. They're actually a really good bet on team at the end of the year last year. So they go and they bring that momentum into this next season. And sure enough, look like they're going to be a playoff team potentially well in control of the seventh seed in the Western Conference. I bring that up today because... To me, the Pistons have some striking similarities to that team from last year. Not in terms of the makeup or how they play, whatever it is. It's just, if you read some of the quotes that come out of Detroit, it is very much, look, we are in the mode of, we want to win games. You want to develop these guys. We want to go into the offseason on a really high note. I think a really good case of that is on the second leg of a back-to-back, rookie Kate Cunningham, who is dealing with a wrist sprain, could easily rest against the Indiana Pacers on Friday night, but instead goes out there, plays, plays relatively well. They win that game. And now you're looking at a Detroit team who is 5-2 straight up, 7-0 and against the spread in their last seven games after that win on Friday night. And look, and look at each of these games. We're talking about closing in an underdog at each and every one of those contests, catching an average of 7.9 points per game, and these young guys are playing well. Kate Cunningham over the seven-game winning streak, averaging 20.4 points, eight rebounds, five assists on 42.7% shooting from the floor. You know, volume score, you like a little bit more efficiency, but still performing well in other categories. Sadiq Bey, one of my favorite players, uh, 18.7 points, 6.3 rebounds, 3.3 assists on 48% shooting from the floor, and he's shooting 41% from three. Sadiq Bey's always been a really good contributor. So this was a team that I had some really high hopes for coming into this season, and they're finally starting to find their stride because this is a pretty intriguing young core that the Pistons have, and it's just important because we're going to have all these conversations about tanking and all the tanking doesn't really exist anymore given the fact that the NBA has done a really great job of evening out the lottery odds and adding incentive because, you know, now we get 10 seeds who can make it to a full playoff, right, the play-in. The Pistons look like a team they're going to be like the Minnesota Timberwolves from last year and are really going to be fighting for some pretty good results. But their power rating is so low, then a lot of these instances, you're going to have some pretty good some situations to bet on them. And the schedule coming up, home games against Atlanta, Chicago, at Boston, home versus the Clippers, at Miami, at Orlando, at Cleveland. They're going to be some pretty big underdogs in a lot of those contests. So something to keep an eye on with the Pistons. All right, we'll come back. I want to update this Toronto-Cleveland game because this carries a ton of weight. We'll explain why when we come back on the other side here of Hardwood Handicap. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Want to get into shape but having trouble staying motivated? Make five-hour energy shots part of your lifestyle and get the energy boost you need to get fit. Zero sugar and an unbeatable blend of vitamins, nutrients, and caffeine is the perfect pick-me-up for getting stuff done. Go to 5hourenergy.com to find over 15 flavors to choose from. With flavors like grape, tropical burst, cherry, blue raspberry, and more, there's a flavor for everyone. Get a five-hour energy today. You can even go to the website. Apparently, you can make, like, a mix and match. You know how you go to the store and you get beers and you can, like, mix and match the different types of beer? You can go to you can go to 5hourenergy.com and mix and match the flavors of five-hour energy you want. Man, it's great. Five-hour energy. Go get one. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about a game that is currently underway right now. Not the Memphis Grizzlies, who look like they're about to go down to the Houston Rockets. 121-112 to with 114 left to go. Houston. Up on top of the Memphis Grizzlies. For those scoring at home, that is a 10.5-point underdog that looks like they're going to win outright today at home. With that, though, 
wanted to go to the Eastern Conference because we got 11 minutes and five seconds left to go in Cleveland, where the Cla- the Cavaliers, the Cavaliers are up 75 to 64 over the Toronto Raptors. Uh, this number closed in favor of the Cavs, minus four and a half, some spots five, with a total of 210. Uh, why this matters? Well, this is a battle now. It might surprise some people who don't watch the standings every single day. Right? Cleveland was a darling. Cleveland had been doing everything right. Cleveland had been incredible this season. It doesn't take away from anything they had done this year. But the Cleveland Cavaliers are actually the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference coming into today. The Cavaliers are in a stretch where they were losing left and right. One and six straight up and against the spread in their last seven games coming into this game against the Toronto Raptors. And the Raptors, of course, in control of the seventh seed, one game behind. Two games behind, excuse me. Two games behind Cleveland. For the sixth seed, and why the sixth seed matters, of course, for those who don't remember, well, that's the way you get out of the play-in. Top six, avoid the play-in tournament. So this game matters. It matters quite a bit because Toronto can either cut into that two-game lead or Cleveland can extend that two-game lead and avoid falling into the play-in. And this is a Cleveland team, right, that had looked really good, really good for a long time. So they're up by 16, looked a little touch-and-go. Toronto had actually cut it back in to about a five-point game or so while we are on the air. But... Right now, Cleveland, with 10 minutes left to go, have a 16-point lead, 80-64. to So just keeping an eye on that, it's very much worth mentioning because Cleveland had been – I talked to Doug Kazirian, who was with us on um, the uh, last – the first episode, last episode of Hartwood Handicappers here on Sunday. And uh, he joined me on my pod last week in the middle of the week, and he said that one of his you know big-ticket lottery-type wagers was Cleveland to miss the playoffs because you could see a tumultuous fall down the standings well, he, he was right in terms of the fall now. Uh, Cleveland, in terms of, right, we talk about flirting with the play-in. They're also three games back of Philly for the two seed and two and a half games back from Milwaukee and Chicago for three and four. So it does look like that 5-6 range is going to be the destiny of the Cleveland Cavaliers. It just depends where, as they are uh, well ahead of the Toronto Raptors right now. And Toronto, by the way, they've, they've helped out Cleveland too because while they're down here by uh, nearly 20 points, they come into this three and six straight up, two and seven ATS in their last nine games, and they're beat to hell. OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, Malachi Flynn, missing time with injury. So that's Toronto, I, they're going to be much better than they've shown over the last nine games, but injuries have hit them at the worst possible time. OG Ananobi had to see a finger specialist the other day. Fred Van Vliet's been dealing with a sore knee, and while Malachi Flynn might not tickle any fancies out there for those who don't follow the Toronto Raptors, that's another one of your guards that's going to be out, especially with Fred Van Vliet missing time. You can tell their half-court offense today has been absolutely atrocious against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you don't want an atrocious half-court offense against one of the best half-court defenses in the NBA, and that has totally been the case for Toronto today. Offensive rating for Toronto, 83.1, and in the half-court, just a 65.6, so it has been like pulling teeth for the Raptors tonight. So let's talk a little most improved. It actually ties in to the Cleveland Cavaliers because I did bet earlier this season Darius Garland to win most improved at 16-1. to And he's still floating in that like 17 to one range. So if you feel like you want it, you can go and grab it. But the reason why I wanted to bring up most improved, because I think it's a pretty fascinating conversation because most improved, right? It's so subjective. And you see the odds there to win most improved. These are courtesy of DraftKings. John Morant, a massive favorite. An applied probability of about 93.3%, minus 1,400 to win most improved. Miles Bridges uh, behind him at 9-1 to of the Charlotte Hornets. Darius Garland at 15-1. to DeJounte Murray at 16-1. to Anthony Simons at 35-1. to Jared Allen, 70-1. to Tyrese Maxey, 75. And then Desmond Bain at 80. So why I wanted to bring this up? Because, so, John Morant seems to, and of course the odds reflect that, have the uh, inside corner on this, right? The inside lane, the inside track on winning this award. 
And if you look at his resume, it's very good, right? Let's, let's look at some of the numbers from Moran. For example, he's increased his points per game average by 8.7 points. His field goal attempts, right? That's important to increase your point, your field, your points per game metric. It's a lot of guys just take more shots, but look at this. Not only has he taken more attempts, 5.6 more per game, his effective field goal percentage has gone up. So while he's taking more shots and he's scoring more points, his efficiency has gone up and well, and that's really important. So effective field goal percentage up by 4.8%, three-point percentage up by 4% this year, and PSA, which is points per 100 shot attempts, it's a metric that Cleaning the Glass has. Uh, he has improved that as well. And you look at this overall with John Moran, that's by 9.1 uh, points every 100 shot attempts. He's got the resume for most improved. But one of the conversations I've been having with like Mitch Moss and others has been, is there a chance that voters look at John Morant and go, well, yeah, he, he was already one of the better players in the NBA, as we kind of realized. Is there a chance he doesn't get voted for most improved? And I don't know if that's the case. I, I think he's going to get votes because, as it has been pointed out, it's a fair, it's a fair point. Most of the times when guys win these most improved awards, it's from non-all-star to all-star leap, in which John Morant made that leap here. But look at some of the resumes of some of these other guys that have stakes to this, right? For example, a guy like Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey the other day going into a matchup over the, uh, on Friday night uh, was 150 to 1 to win most improved. That's been cut in half in 75 to 1, and his numbers are on par, if not better, than John Morant's. Look at this. He's averaging 9.6 points more per game this year. His field goal attempts, he's taken 6.5 more per game, and yet he's scoring nearly 10 more points per game. His effective field goal percentage by 4.2% an increase there. Look at the jump in the three-point shooting by 12% this year. And in terms of points per shot attempt, he blows John Moran out of the water, averaging 13.3 points more per 100 shot attempts. Tyrese Maxey is. So if you kind of just, if you take away the covers and I just give you these blind resumes and you, and you say, hey, who's most improved here? There's a really good case for a guy like Tyrese Maxey, who again was 150 to one just a couple of days ago is now in 75 to one to win the award. And there's more from that, too. Let's take a look at John Morant's teammate, for example, Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain, who, by the way, you can go back and look earlier this year, John Morant himself was putting him up for most improved because John Morant has come out and said he doesn't want the award. Points per game increase for Desmond Bain. He's averaging 8.3 more points per game. His field goal attempts are up by 7.1 per game. Now, effective field goal percentage and three-point percentage are down. You'll see that dip in terms of more shot attempts, but he's still shooting over 40% from three-point range, and his points per shot attempt, just a slight dip there at 2.3 points. But still, regardless, that's a most improved resume. More points on more field goal attempts, still a 40% three-point shooter as well. Desmond Bain's been insanely impressive. So you can look at a guy like him and think that he has a really strong case, and his own teammate, John Moran, who is the minus 1,400 favorite, has really made a case for him in the media. And then you get to one of the other darlings, which has been pretty interesting to track, and that would be Anthony Simons. Anthony Simons right now, a 35 to 1. You could have gotten him in the range of about 70, 75 to 1, depending on where you shop about a month or two months ago. But Anthony Simons, in terms of his resume and what he's been able to do up to this point, he's got a strong case to be made for this thing at, uh, when you look at what he's been able to do. So, for example, points per game, he's averaging 9.2 points more per game. His field goal attempts are up by 7.5 per game. And while his effective field goal percentage and three-point percentage in points per shot attempt are down, he has taken on a larger role, just like Desmond Bain has, and still it's not even that big of a, a drop-off, right? We're talking about effective field goal percentage, a 1.6% difference in a drop-off there. A change in terms of three-point percentage, 2.6%, and points per 100 shot attempts, just a drop-off of 2.6 points. So you have a really, like, again, if you just strip the names and the narratives behind a guy like John Morant and you look overall, you, you, you can make a strong case for any one of these guys. Specifically, I think Tyrese Maxey would be at the top of that list. How about DeJounte Murray as well? DeJounte Murray, who has been absolutely fantastic 
for the San Antonio Spurs. You can find him in the range of 16 to 1. He's up there with the likes of Miles Bridges, Darius Garland, DeJounte Murray. And and this is my last point on something like this because Miles Bridges is a really good example of what happened last year in the most improved player race. Because for those who didn't keep track of it in any way whatsoever, which why the hell would you? Uh, it's the most improved player race in the NBA. But Jeremy Grant at one point last year was a $5 favorite to win most improved. But the reason why he was such a large favorite was because people looked at Jeremy Grant's resume, saw that he was scoring way more points, and that was it. Right, A lot of people just use points per game as a metric to judge improvement, and then they go off from there. And so he reached minus 500, and Grant had been great in terms of his scoring. But if you, if you took one click on Jeremy Grant's name and you looked at his stats for that year, you realized he was taking about 10 more field goal attempts per game. His efficiency was way down. And you look at it with a guy like Miles Bridges, all he's doing, his usage is way up, but his efficiency is way down. And so he's scoring more points on more shot attempts, but it's not even a little bit of a dip like some of the numbers we're showing with you guys. It's a massive dip from 125.4 points per 100 shot attempts to 115.6. And I think you just got to dig a little bit deeper. But I'm fascinated because there's a strong case to be made that some of these other guys are actually most improved candidates. John Morant's always been a very good player, so how voters handle him going forward. And how does, and I don't know if it really makes a case, but still, how does him vocally actually saying he doesn't really want to win the award? factor into this so most approved is going to be a lot of fun but i thought it was definitely worth bringing up and look at some of the awards and some of the resumes for the guys that are in contention for that on the other side we've got one more game tipping off later tonight los angeles clippers are going to play, uh, play host to the new york knicks let's get the la side of things and we'll talk about the lakers as well and lebron's big game and what to do with russell westbrook with daniel alvari on the other side I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. 
Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to VEASAN's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Get everything you need to bet the band this, this year with 24-7 streaming, daily best bet emails, and our tournament betting guide, including advice, data, and strategy for only $19. Whether you're filling out a bracket or betting against the spread, our team is here to get you ready for every game and every round of the tournament. Get analysis from our experts, including Greg Hoops Peterson. There's more. There's Wes Reynolds. There's Jeff Parles. There's Matt Humans. I kind of blanked. Tim Reynolds. Tim Reynolds. Tim Murray. <laughs> On every key team, conference, a player to watch from the favorites to the potential Cinderella's. Sign up today to get the betting guide plus full access to VSIN through April 5th for only $19 at vsin.com slash madness. All right, a quick update on the scoreboard here. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans at one point down by 21 points tonight against the Denver Nuggets. Closing is about a three-and-a-half-point underdog, depending on where you shop. Have just taken an 82-80 lead over the Denver Nuggets. Actually, four-and-a-half, excuse me. The total of 229-and-a-half. So 82-80 with two minutes left to go in the third quarter against Denver. And I am telling you, folks, as, as real as, like, a play-in team can be, right? Like, if we're talking about legitimate threat to make it to the postseason, the uh, the New Orleans Pelicans are it. So we'll see if we can do it again. A game behind the Los Angeles Lakers, who are in control of the ninth seed. And with that, let's bring in Daniel Ovari. Speaking of the Los Angeles Lakers and the wonderful city of L.A., Danielle covers it uh, for our city cast, the Los Angeles city cast. Danielle, it's good to talk to you. Uh, so when I say that, the Los Angeles Lakers, only a game lead over the New Orleans Pelicans for the play-in seed, the ninth seed. What does that tell you? The Lakers, they've fallen so far. Absolutely. And what's crazy is when we have this play-in format introduced, wasn't LeBron one of those people who was upset that his seventh seed team had to even play in it? And now it's going to be his saving grace if that's even what gets them into the playoffs. So it's kind of unbelievable that they're even here. I mean, what, one game ahead of the Pelicans at this point? I'm not even sure. But I'm actually just more impressed with this Pelicans team at this point instead of the Lakers with the way that they've just been completely falling apart. What, three and seven straight up in their last ten, four and six ATS. Uh, they've just been terrible covering one time since they've been back since the all-star break. And of course, no Anthony Davis still. Yep. So uh, I want to ask you this because so Saturday they get a win right over golden state. They stopped the bleeding a little bit. You mentioned the slide that they're on at this point right now, but it should be pointed out. You needed 56 points from LeBron James, your starting center in this lineup to get that done. 124 to 116. So I guess my question would be, as you look forward and their schedule is a bear, Danielle, like, what are you really what's like what's the realistic expectation here for Los Angeles in the next couple of weeks and do you expect LeBron to still like just continue playing because I think at some point as the losses start to kind of stack up and you and I talked about this before if those losses continue to come like you're not getting 56 points from LeBron James every night at what point does the knee get a little too sore and you're like I'm out of here if these continue like he's clearly still engaged but at what point do you think that continues Well, you just have to ask yourself, can this team win a championship? And I don't think anybody thinks that's true for this team right now. And that's what LeBron cares about at this point, especially at this point in his career. Yes, all the players want to win a championship, but LeBron, especially where he's at. And right now the Lakers, how is this a championship team? They played 60-odd games this season. They've used 31 lineups. They have a crazy turnover problem, especially what they've had more turnovers than their other opponents in the last four games straight, I think. 
Um, it's just a huge, huge problem for them. They had 23 versus the Pelicans. And then not to mention just a poorly constructed roster all around. I'm going to let Austin Reeves have a pass on that. But just really not a good roster here. AD's been out for 24 games this season. LeBron's missed 17. So if you're putting this all on his schedule, I mean, on his shoulders, this is this team goes and loses with LeBron. They've shown that they can beat some good teams. He can get up with them, right? They beat the Warriors, but like you said, they needed 56 points from him to do it. They beat the Jazz twice, but that's really just a matchup problem, and that was with AD. So at this point, if LeBron is healthy and wants to go, then this team will go with him. But does LeBron think that this team is actually going to win a championship? Because otherwise, why would he exert his effort? So uh, really quick out there, by the way, to, to let everybody know how it's going for the Denver Nuggets. Michael Malone just got ejected, and it is a 90 to 84. New Orleans Pelicans up on top of the Denver Nuggets with 106 left to go in the third. <laughs> so l- let me ask you this. So Matt Eumann's my co-host on the edge, is pretty high on the Lakers aren't a playoff team. I doesn't think they're going to get out of the play-in, uh, whether that's losing to the Pelicans, which I think they're going to do, or losing to the loser of Minnesota LA, which is the Clippers, who we'll get to because they have a game coming up in a little bit. I'll ask you just flat out, are they a playoff team and why? Or why not? They're a playoff team if LeBron wants them to be, but I know how you feel about this. I listened to The Edge on Friday, and I know how Matt Eumann feels about this. Mm-hmm. You think LeBron is backing it in at this point, and this is just not a team that's going to do well, so what's the point? What's the point at this point? And so, um, I mean, LeBron has even floated things about, oh, I'm going to go back to Cleveland. He's just really muddied the water with things, and then he comes out in those 56-point games. I'm not really sure where his head's at, um, but this is a team that, that starts and stops with LeBron James. So, to me, that is not a playoff team. That's not a playoff team because if it's just going and playing with LeBron and we don't know where Anthony Davis is at. Also, with your stars in and out like this, why have the Lakers not been able to do something with that the way that the Clippers have been able to play without their big stars, right? So this just is not a winning team for me. All right, before we move on to the better team in Los Angeles, the Clippers, uh, I will ask you this. Russell Westbrook, the reports are Vogel's getting pressure to bench him. I went through some of the numbers uh, at the beginning of this hour. Like, I I think it's actually – People are getting too wrapped up in the Westbrook sucks bench him thing. When you look at it, it's not the biggest problem that they have. Uh, by the season's end, is Russell Westbrook still a regular part of the starting lineup? It's tough to say. That's an expensive bench player. That is, can we talk about the swindle here that Westbrook has created for himself? What does he get? $90 million over the next two? Yep. And over the last five games, he's averaging 7% from three. He shoots two or four of those a game. I almost bet the other night a prop of him under his half half of a three-pointer. I thought, no, he puts like four of those up. One could go in by accident. Uh, And no, he's had a bunch of zero games in that category. And he still throws it up. uh, Plus 13, and it's plus minus versus the Warriors, but hasn't been above plus five since January. So it makes complete complete sense to want to bench him here, right? And for Vogel to get that pressure. But I really do not envy his job having to deal with the egos and the representation of Anthony Davis LeBron James and Russell Westbrook because Westbrook does not want to be benched. We know that, but what other player wouldn't be benched at this point? Yep. Daniel Alvari, you can find her on Twitter at Daniel Alvari, host of the Los Angeles city cast. All right, let's go to the Clippers. Then they got a game. They're going to tip off here in about 10, 15 minutes. They're taking on the New York Knicks. Uh, they are up to right now, about a five, five and a half point favorite total of two twenty. Knicks are pretty shorthanded. Actually one spot's flashing six. So uh, action clearly in the side of the Clippers. Uh, before we get to the Clippers, uh, your thoughts on uh, this game, if you had anything, and this run that the Clippers have been on. You know, We talked about it before the All-Star break. Uh, they have found their footing defensively, Danielle. It's been pretty impressive. Yeah, I know. I'm glad that you kind of alerted me to that as well because as we saw that offensive surge in the start of February, I was worried about their defense kind of starting to lag, but they seem to have kind of locked that back down, which is great. I almost looked at playing an under here because the last time they played the Knicks, the total was like 204.5, and, and it did go over. So 
quite a low total. But now we're seeing 220 and a half, 221 for this game. And I do think that we could see an over with the way that the Clippers have been playing. This is not the same team that they were in January. They've covered seven of their last eight. This opened Clippers minus four, and I am the laziest better ever. I like to bet very last minute. I like to know all of the details. I like to bet live. So I did not get the four. I like Clippers minus four here. I do think that they can cover minus five and a half, but I'm going to look to get something a little bit better in game here. Uh, And I did consider playing an over, but I didn't want to get all messed up in that, especially with the Knicks may or may not be shorthanded, right? Um, The Knicks have also just been terrible. They've lost seven straight and 17 of their last 20. So if there's going to be a side for me, it'd be Clippers. So I made this joke and I'll make it again because for those who don't know, I'm a Clippers fan and it's worth making this joke again because the other night was one of the greatest nights of my life outside of the birth of my two children. Uh, which was the pure and utter ass-kicking that the Clippers delivered to the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James just absolutely destroyed them in the third quarter. So I'll just ask you, Danielle, as somebody who, you know, lives and breathes L.A., how'd that feel? It uh, felt good. I've been beating the drum for this Clippers team. You know that. It's actually hilarious, too, because the Los Angeles Times had an article that came out that was titled, Why Can't the Lakers Be More Like the Clippers? And I thought that is blasphemous to even write that in LA people don't want to see that but that's the case we're in right now the Clippers are more impressive if you've been paying attention this is the team you want to watch in LA right now uh especially with the addition of Norman Powell who's also a UCLA grad um and the San Diego native so it's been good to get him back in the mix here but they don't even have him right now they don't have PG and they don't have Kawhi and they're still kicking butt so um it has to feel good for you for a Clippers fan it is but you know I'm kind of torn because you know I keep talking about these Pelicans because you know I've taken on them to make the playoffs it does seem like it might come down to a Pelicans-Clippers play-in game. And the the Clippers, it was earlier in the year, but they had a lot of trouble with the Pelicans. And that was the early version of them, nowhere near what they are now. So it does look like the Clippers are going to be a very strong contender to get into the postseason. Uh, but they'll have to get through the Timberwolves and or the Pelicans or Lakers. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. Again, Danielle Alvari, Danielle, before we get you out of here, you've got 90, no, we got 90 seconds. we got 60 seconds. WNBA's around the corner. Give me something. You were good in the futures market last year. What are we looking at? The Mercury are going to be scary. They hired a new coach in January, and then beginning February, they signed Tina Charles as a free agent. She was the league's leading scorer. She was their leading rebounder. She almost shot 37% from three last year. That is a very dangerous big, and she's getting added to a team that already has Brittany Griner, Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins-Smith, plus they added Diamond to Shields. The Mercury are going to be very, very scary. All right, can't wait. I mean, Danielle's going to come on the uh, Harvard Handicappers pod when the uh, the season gets close. We're going to have a full breakdown. WNBA is awesome, man. Those finals were great. Danielle, good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, JVT. You got it. Again, Los Angeles CityCast. We have great CityCast, by the way. All these cities. Even one for Duncan, Arizona. That's not true. Duncan is a real town, though. It's where my mom's from. I think there's like 60 people that live there at this point right now. Okay, uh, let's take our break. On the other side, second hour, let's start to dive into the Monday slate of games for the association. And coming up in about 20 minutes, Aaron Renning, professional handicapper, is going to be with us. We will dive into the card from his perspective, also what we've seen over the last couple of days, and get his thoughts on the NBA when we come back. Check. Check. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. 
Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.